I'm in the studio with two of the guests that we had hoped uh, would be here out of four, uh, and uh, one of them at least will probably be joining us, so if you hear any uh, unnecessary crashing about, it'll be, uh, we hope, uh, Mr. Avakian uh, arriving. In the meantime, we have in the studio Mike Parker. Mike and Bob Avakian are uh, members of the Organizing Committee of the Peace and Freedom Party and still associated with the party now that it is qualified for the uh, ballot. And uh, Bobby Seal, chairman of the Black Panther Party. Now, uh, I think that uh, perhaps it was with, and I think most uh, observers, uh, particularly white observers, would uh, say that it was at the time that the phrase black power began to be used uh, that it dawned on most people in this country that something new was happening in the whole uh, political, economic, uh, and racial structure of this country. And uh, I further believe that it's a matter of some confusion in the minds of many people uh, what the difference is between the outlook of the Black Panther Party and uh, some of the other movements which have previously been associated in in the minds of the, of the public uh, with the uh, racial issue. Now, uh, I'm going to ask you, Bobby Seale, to talk to us about that and correct our... Because, as we all know, the thing started way back when when both religious and legal uh, organizations... Uh, tried to do something about the rights of black people uh, through the courts, uh, through nonviolent uh, um, religious uh, uh, or semi-religious uh, organizations. Uh, and then there was for some time a lot of talk, and still is, I, I, I believe, about nationalism in the sense of complete separation of the black and white community. Now, as I understand it, the Black Panthers are a political force. Black. And I'd like you to talk to us about what what you feel, what the step was with the arrival of this new concept and clarify it for our listeners. The Black uh, political organization it's a black political organization. Uh, when I say black, I want to understand that I don't mean black in terms of uh, anti-white. I mean black that black people are together in an organization and organize themselves on a political level. Uh, I think that uh, and and. For people to get a clear understanding of uh, who the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense is, uh, who the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense is, is, is um, first they're going to have to get a, rid of a few of the misnotions about really uh, what is this thing all about. Uh, those black people out there, they'll say, are, are organizing themselves with guns. And they start talking about black power and guns and force, etc. I think that the uh, people are going to have to change these notions of they are anti-white. Quote. I would quote. This is a general statement people make. Uh, they are against me. They are anti-white. It's the anti-white organization. No, this is not it at all. We are starting from the position that. Uh, our conditions and oppression, the oppression that we're subjected to within the confines of the ghetto, that is seen by another statement that it's a situation where whites are black against blacks. It's whites are anti-black. So we take the position that concerning this racism, now they, white people, uh, the white power structure, white races in this country have shown that they are anti-black. 
by numerous mass murders, lynchings of black people for, well, we don't even, all we have to do is go back a hundred years and one and one to study history. We can just go down to the south, we can just go down to uh, the bummings in Birmingham, uh, the children who were killed. Uh, this is all a form of being, uh, showing any, being any black. Now, the oppressive conditions that we live in in the black ghetto, this is all related to being on the part of the white races and the white power structure and those other white people who just sit on their rumps and uh, say, oh, uh, I, I, I'm not, I have nothing to do with this and these liberals and these people are all dealing with, associated with, uh, condoned to some extent this whole structure of being anti-black. Now, we did not come out to be anti-white. We come out to be any the oppression. This is what we're against. If one looks at it practically, he can see how we're dealing with it. We do not go in white communities and lynch white people. When people try to call us racist, I think one thing they're going to have to do is go back and check their selves out, check their people out, and see what they've done and what they are in fact doing and the police departments and the racism and the brutality uh, that goes on in the black community. This is, this is, this is being anti-black. We uh, are approaching it from the standpoint of what is being done to us because of this, this racism. We see uh, racism not manifested really in uh, a white person says, well, I don't like you uh, because of the color of your skin or showing this in many ways. We see them saying, that they don't like us, when they say they don't like us, they start talking, this is related to the oppression, the brutality, this is what's being done to us, is what we're concerned with ending. Uh, we are human beings, we know it, uh, white people know it, but they won't admit it, uh, racists know it, but they won't admit it, but we are intending, we will, have a share of the wealth in this country, we will have it as human beings in this country. We want a share of it. We don't go prancing off in the white community, uh, shooting uh, white cops. Uh, we, don't even go to co we don't even patrol cops in the white community, we patrol cops in our black community. I think that... Uh, now, when you say patrol cops in the black community, uh, would you would you tell us what that means? Does that I know there was a, there have been uh, some committees uh, in other communities also uh, who have attempted to more or less uh, trail the police and see to it that people who are being arrested and so on that their rights are protected and uh, that there's a witness and and so on. Is it uh, something along that line that the that the Black Panthers are attempting? Uh, no, I was just, uh, it was, some of those things were included, of course, in the patrols. Uh, but uh, ours goes more to the point. Uh, we realized that maybe if uh, citizens of the university community wanted to patrol the Berkeley police or in this area and make sure that uh, these things, generally they're going to go down with tape recorders maybe and uh, take notes, etc. And of course they're white again too and the policemen are white, and uh, they can probably be of great service to their people here, but in our black community, if we go down and uh, take tape recorders, just tape recorders with no guns, or uh, notebooks and things like this here, or, uh, we're subject to be brutalized just for coming down and acting in the fashion of a citizen where the law says that every citizen has the right to uh, stand a reasonable distance away and observe an officer carrying out his duty. So we didn't subject ourselves to our, um, the possibility of just being brutalized or going down in this, might I say, nonviolent fashion that is being unarmed when we know in fact that uh, cops in our community brutalize our people. Uh, here, I think you see quite a bit of difference here. We have a real situation that we have to deal with and so we approach it in a very real manner. We never stopped arrest when we were patrolling the cops. We would make it a point to try to get the uh, name of the individual who was being arrested at the, when we were come out on the scene, stand our reason just with our guns, 
And uh, we noticed that uh, every time we was on the scene, there was never any police brutality. Uh, the few people we have... They Not because you used your guns, but because they knew you had them. Is that your... Uh, and knew we would use them. Because you and I have a bit of history with the police department in uh, defending ourselves. Uh, well, now, uh, from uh, the political standpoint, another thing, that question that I have heard raised a number of times is that... Um, the Black Panther Party is not, in fact, a revolutionary party. Uh, that, uh, in a sense, uh, the black people are now doing what other immigrant groups in this country uh, have done historically, uh, namely to fight the power structure uh, in order to, uh, well, to have their place in the sun in that power structure. Um, that, uh, oh, for example, ideas like socialism are no part of the uh, of the Black Panther uh, thinking. Now, would you say that was or was not um, an accurate uh, description? I would say this here. At first, um, we do not bog ourselves down with the... Uh, well, we won't bog ourselves down with the uh, label or term socialism or, say, communism. Now, I can say this here that I can go up to Berkeley and I can see a co-op store. Now, I can, I'm a member of the co-op and I can see that this is a store, I mean, although it's with, still within the confines of a capitalistic system, but uh, in many ways, uh, the store might have the same factors, but I don't want to argue or, uh, you know, these little details. I think black people need cooperative housing in the black community, controlled and owned by them, because the landlords are not producing decent housing for them. I think they need cooperative uh, marketing and businesses and factories in the black community, etc. cetera. Um, now, one might say, well, he's a socialist or he's a communist. Uh, on the contrary, I'm a black man trying to get some of the wealth out of this country. And if we can, if I can look around, I can see a practical system of something uh, changing the system uh, help changing something in the confines of our community where we can have something for real. This is what I'm talking about. I think that uh, too <clears throat> when uh, one tries to uh, idealistically uh, give uh, well laid out plans as to what the society should be, uh, I think many times these people really don't understand even what the black people are about and what the black people want and how the black people want things changed. Now, uh, black people are not concerned with socialism or communism. They're concerned with somebody changing the system and somebody doing something so that we can have a share of the wealth in this country. And would you say that the violence, which is so greatly feared by the white community, uh, for example, the riots uh, which have uh, broken out in the past and will doubtless break out in the future, uh, isn't it possible uh, that this is the result not of black power but of the lack of black power? <laughs> I think you've made a pretty fair statement there to some extent. I also think that uh, um, in understanding black power, uh, we have to understand that the black rebellions that broke out across this country are really a um, uh, political consequences. Uh, and these political consequences is, is related to uh, the political decisions that have been made by the power structure upon the people. And the people, without any true representation and organization to guide them uh, cause political consequences out of sheer uh, frustration. There's a breaking point. Now, the uh, ability of the people to be destructive as they are when these black rebellions break out, uh, this is not black power in a sense because there's no organized leadership, leadership in this sense that you have to have some type of organization that's ready to lead the people, that's ready to defend the people on the level that the people want to be defended. Uh, this level 
is not uh, bootlicking what we call bootlicking uh, the power structure. It's uh, uh, catering and being a service to the people in the fashion that they, they think is really a service to them. We feel that going to the streets with guns to defend ourselves against the racist cops, when they get down wrong, when they start shooting at us, we will shoot back and educating our people, organizing the black community in this fashion. This itself really becomes what you might call organized black power. The other thing you might call an unorganized black power. It's less effective. Here you can have political representatives in a black organization who can come forth and speak of what the black people say they're going to do if uh, they don't receive such and such and such and such. Here the black people become very organized. And uh, here is where black power, this is where you bring the uh, powerful destructive force of the people to the political arena. Not, you don't bring it in the fashion of, uh, of threatening the political arena. If you don't do this here, such and such and such, such is gonna happen, those Negroes out there, he's saying he represents the black community. Now, uh, I haven't seen him down there one time really trying to really, really defend the people on a real, real level. See here, this is where you separate this political representative who's shucking and jiving up there in the assembly or Congress or what have you. Uh, this is why initially we weren't concerned with electing representatives to the, uh, to the, uh, in the uh, into the political arena. We felt this was later. We felt it was necessary to organize the people first. We were saying that even before we came on the scene, black people were burning down cities and shooting back at cops in these black rebellions. Recognizing the fact that black people are going to do this if they don't uh, get something somewhere, or get stopped this brutality, etc., that, uh, that they're going to do this. So why should I let my people go out unorganized without any organized front or vanguard party, etc., and let them be slaughtered. I say that uh, I, as a black man, will try to help contribute to some kind of leadership for the people because we know what they're going to do. Here, I think this organization is a better type of black power because here it's organized. Here, uh, <laughs> when the confrontation comes down, uh, this political power structure is going to have to start conceding. Well, already you have, uh, this has been proven in places like uh, Cleveland and Gary, Indiana, uh, that uh, the political power can be uh, felt. And here in this community, as I understand it, uh, and uh, Mr. Avakian has uh, now joined us, um, you are working quite closely with the uh, Peace and Freedom uh, Party, and I, perhaps we should hear from them now. Uh, what their concept of this cooperation is. Mike well, Parker. Use the term, uh, we use the term coalition, and I guess we can explain. Coalition, yes. Mm-hmm. Perhaps you, Mike, would like to uh, come in on this at this point. Well, during the registration drive to get the, uh, what turned out to be 105,000 uh, registrations to qualify the Peace and Freedom Party for the ballot, uh, people began to discover that when you're confronting this establishment, you find that it's extremely powerful and that you need all the help that you can get. And we started out as a predominantly anti, uh, predominantly uh, white group uh, based on the anti-war movement. And from the very beginning, we had the position that there could be no such thing as a peace unless it was a peace among free men, that you did not have a true peace just because there was no war if people were oppressed. And so we made peace and freedom. We made our slogan, peace and freedom, just to make it clear that we stood not only for ending the war in Vietnam and other wars, but also for ending oppression that existed. And we were looking for uh, groups in the black community to work with. And we found that the uh, only group in the black community that was even willing to talk with us about these kinds of questions in a serious way uh, before it was clear that we were going to be on the ballot, that's when we were considered just an anti-establishment effort, uh, was the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. Uh, we held uh, some discussions with them, and the f- feeling was that we could work together on a number of issues. Uh, specifically, we worked together on three issues. Uh, immediate withdrawal of American troops from Southeast Asia, uh, support to black liberation in America, and demanding that Huey P. Newton get a fair trial. 
The organizing committee later discussed that and decided for a number of reasons that our demand instead should be that uh, Huey Newton be set free, that he was a political prisoner. At any rate, on the basis of the agreement on these three issues, we were able to work together, hold joint rallies, uh, issue uh, leaflets in the ghetto and in the white community on the... uh, on Huey Newton's incarceration, etc. And the form of the coalition was exactly, I think, what it should have been. Namely, the notion that we really have here two separate and distinct movements and organizations which have different needs and different interests, but in many ways are fighting the same establishment and share a large common ground. And on the basis of that common ground, we could work together uh, without giving up our distinctiveness on part of either group. Now, we found since the registration drive that a lot of people have been very upset about this relationship with the Black Panther Party for self-defense. I think the main reason is largely because of the misunderstanding that they have about that party and also the misunderstandings and misconceptions they have about what life is like in the ghetto. Um, First, it became clear as we worked with the Black Panther Party that they did not stand for guns as an end unto themselves or for going out and shooting white people as any kind of end or... uh, But that instead they had a program and that what they were trying to tell whites was that in order to even organize for that program in the black community, which is different from us here, they had to be able to defend themselves against the brutality and intimidation of the police. Uh, Secondly, uh, it became quite clear that the Black Panther Party was not racist, as Bobby Seale uh, described. On the contrary, uh, it was one group in the black community which made it quite clear that they were politically fighting the oppression of black people. And they didn't care who oppressed black people, whether it be white or black. And what's more, they didn't care who was supporting the fight against that oppression. And if white people were willing to support that fight against oppression, they were willing to work politically uh, with those whites. And we found that the coalition uh, has, during a registration drive and since, has worked out fairly well. Presently now we're discussing coalition or an alliance between the Black Panther Party and the Peace and Freedom Movement uh, on other issues. For instance, uh, right now it's being discussed uh, the possibility of running Huey Newton for Congress in the 7th Congressional District. The decision hasn't been made yet. It's being discussed at area groups this week and next week. Uh, I'm hopeful. There are a lot of legal hurdles to cross on that, I understand. Yes, the lawyers are investigating uh, a lot of the legal problems. They seem to think that we will have a a good case. Also, if uh, a bill goes through in the... There are a number of precedents. Pierre Salinger's uh, uh, running for uh, Senate, and he managed to get some laws overturned, and then there's uh, a number of other legal precedents. I think it was Stanley Mosk, who is the uh, former state uh, attorney general, who made the statement uh, on the Supreme Court that you obviously couldn't belong to a party before it existed and that uh, the the existing law about how long you have to be a member and so on uh, was more or less predicated on the uh, either on the fact that there would only be two parties or else that, that this was a deliberate attempt to keep out a third party. Now, mm-hmm. Moss didn't say all of that, but it followed from mm-hmm. what he said. Well, Moss also lost. I mean, he was in the minority. Yes, he was in the minority, decision. but he's a man, uh, of, you know, mm-hmm. who has held all kinds of prominent uh, legal positions and is certainly a, a, a good lawyer. And he felt that this was a... Uh, has someone got a bill up at the moment? Yeah, Senator this? of San Jose has a bill up. And there's a chance that it will pass, not because the state legislature wants to be so fair with third parties, more because the county clerks in the various counties have begun issuing uh, statements about how terrible it would be now they've gotten all these new voting machines if they would have to count all these write-in votes that there would obviously be if they didn't let us put our candidates in the ballot. Because in those places where they refuse to let us have our candidates in the ballot, we'll run them as write-in and win in the primary, will win them as write-ins in the primary, and then they'll be on the ballot the general election. And, of course, the county clerks would rather let their nice shiny voting machines do the counting than have to count all those But you have no uh, uh, intention of uh, withdrawing because of legal technicalities, Mm. whatever you decide to do, whether it's write-in or not. Right. No, we'll overcome the legal technicalities one way or another. Uh, Bob, have you, uh, Avakian, have you anything to add to to this uh, discussion about the reasons for the uh, alliance uh, and uh, with the Black Panther Party and uh, how you envisage it uh, at the moment and in in the future? 
Yeah, well, I want to stress again that we use the word coalition because that, that implies that you have two separate and distinct groups which are not merging across the board, but which can work together on specific issues where they feel a common interest against a common uh, power structure or a common enemy, however you want to phrase that. But I do think that there are points I'd like to make. First of all, since the possibility of the candidacy of Huey Newton, which I very much favor, has come up, I would like to say in comparison to the statement you made earlier about, you know, Gary, Indiana, and Cleveland, where I believe you're referring to the election of two Negro mayors, that the candidacy of Huey Newton would be projecting a new kind of leadership, not only here but nationally, because it would be nationally uh, talked about in the media and other places, for um, black people and would be projecting a new kind of black leader for white uh, for the white community to look at. And this is the kind of leadership where a person goes out without um, trying to build his own career or asking for any money or any prestige or trying to rise within a machine, but has laid his very life on the line in order to try to deal with it. You know what Bobby C. likes to call the nitty-gritty, the real root issues that uh, affect the black people whom we never hear from because they're on the block hustling, trying to stay alive or, or working you know, very, very hard in some very low-paying job under very uh, adverse conditions, just trying to make enough to keep their family together and maybe get enough to, to uh, you know, have some kind of shelter and clothing. And I think this is uh, a very important concept of this kind of leader as opposed to the kind who wants to rise within a machine, a man like... Um, like the mayor of Cleveland, the new mayor of Cleveland, who you know has been very strong in, in his support of the war in Vietnam and who's threatened to, to squash demonstrations against the war and this sort of thing. And I think that what uh, the point that uh, I know uh, Bobby and Huey always make that uh, it doesn't matter if you have a uh, black face in the assembly or in Congress if the community itself is not organized on a real basis so that it's cap capable of inflicting a consequence if its desires and needs are not met. That, that even if that uh, congressman or mayor or assemblyman is sincere in his efforts to help the community, he'll be uh, impotent and powerless to do anything unless the community is first organized to back him up. And I think this is what has uh, impressed us um, in the Peace and Freedom Party about the efforts and the successes of the uh, Black Panther Party for Self-Defense is that they've been doing this on the real you know, level of the man on the street and the man who holds that, you know, that job, the man that we don't come in contact with in the white community very often and know only through organizations like the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. But secondly, I'd like to say that the advantage to us in the Peace and Freedom Party, especially those of us who want to see that party move in a radical direction, the advantage to us of having this coalition with the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense and particularly of raising the issue of Free Huey Newton has been that it has forced a crystallization of the politics within at least uh, you know the counties where it's been discussed Alameda County, San Francisco, Santa Cruz, Contra Costa where some of that discussion is still going on it has forced a crystallization of political thinking it has forced people to deal with what are the real issues going on in the society and it has forced the party to move in a, in a radical direction rather than just thinking about electoral politics, electing candidates, being opposed to the war in Vietnam, perhaps even on the basis that it's a mistaken war, instead of understanding its imperialist and racist and genocidal nature. And I feel that this has been a very, very important thing for the Peace and Freedom Party because, as I've said before on this station and elsewhere, that if the Peace and Freedom Party is to have any value at this time, it's going to have to be a radical party which deals with radical issues, which deals with what's really going on in the ghetto and the tremendous and, and, and long-suffering grievances that the people there have and continue to have with the whole American foreign policy as it spreads throughout the world like an octopus attempting to exploit, oppress, and murder people. And I think that this, this Huey Newton question is like a focal point for a lot of important political discussion that must go on in arenas like the Peace and Freedom Party for it to move people in white society toward the kind of positions that they're going to have to have if we can make the changes that are so desperately needed in the society. Uh, Bobby Seal, I'd like to ask you... Uh, what is happening in the ghetto in terms of the Black Panther Party and the kind of ideas uh, and the kind of action uh, which uh, you are involved in? Uh, what, what is the penetration of the ghetto? Because, again, one of the things which has been obvious is that for a long, long time, uh, the black people uh, have, uh, in a sense, rejected the political process because it was not serving them because it was not representing them. That's exactly uh, the, uh, the way that we, <clears throat> the type of programs that we design and the things that we uh, come into contact with. We look around <clears throat> in our ghetto and we see, we've already seen many, many things. And then uh, it's just a simple thing of programming. Now, besides uh, patrolling the cops, there are many, many things that go on in the ghetto. Uh, 55th Street and Market, was a very, very dangerous street when we initially got off the ground. 
as a school, Washington School, one block from there. Uh, we worked with and tried to work with the publishers and the members of that area near that corner of 55th and uh, Market and to try to get this uh, street light there. Now, we feel that uh, that street light was killed there in a period of uh, two years. <coughs> we asked for the street light and uh, through a petition signed by a number of members uh, to put this on the city council. And went to the city council, and the city council came back and said, well, we won't be able to put the street light there till late 1968. <clears throat> this is almost a year ago. So we said, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get our fellows, black brothers off the block, serving the community. He's going to go down. We're going to have a crew there in this heavy traffic hour when those kids are coming home from school, and we're going to direct the traffic ourselves. And someone brought up the question about, uh, uh, well, uh, what if the young fellows don't know how to direct traffic that well? So, well, we feel like this here. If the traffic gets all blocked up, and it's a lot of white people commuting up through 55th, and uh, uh, if it gets blocked up, say, all the way back to the freeway somewhere because some young fellow isn't trained yet, and they wouldn't even, they hadn't even sent policemen out there to direct the traffic. You dig? They should be doing their job. So if it gets blocked up, it might bring attention to the white people that, uh, you know, at the same time, the black people were saying they are attempting to do something. We'll learn in the process while we do it. Now, by directing the traffic, uh, we were tr going to try, train them right there on that corner for the first time, because meanwhile, between now and 1968, how many more kids might get killed? That corner was so dangerous that it came out to an average that we averaged out. I was working at the power center at this time for about seven months. We averaged out an accident from a wreck to someone getting hurt every other day on this corner. Now, this is a small program. That and did they still not put up the light? Is there the still light, no light? The light has been put up because of a degree of more pressure that comes from the uh, uh, local poverty center. Now, it has been put up since the beginning of 1968 instead of late 1968. Now, we understand what politics is all about here. What we're saying is that People in the white community have a basic desire. Say that's a dangerous corner. People in the white community, of Piedmont, up in the hills, or what have you, in these white suburban areas, will say, we want a street light here. And that power structure produces a street light quite readily. <laughs> black people say they want a street light in the black community area. Oh, we can't get it up to late 1968. Now, we're all paying taxes. Now, what do we do to see that black people's political desires and needs are answered. This is one simple example, though, uh, of what we can do. We can take young fellows off the block who are not doing nothing, drinking some wine, subject to get busted within the next two weeks to six months, probably go to jail. If he beats his case, he's going to put five or six months up in Greystone because he haven't got enough bail money. He's on probation or parole, and they're going to put a hole on him. This young fellow can be put in to a position where he's actually serving his community. Flat. Nothing else said. Now, that's besides the patrolling of cops who brutalize our people where we use the guns. Now, we're also concerned if one gets a chance to read the program of the platform of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, and if they really see the patrol of the cops is only one point of our program. And one point of our program is we want an immediate end to police brutality and murder of black people. And we believe that we have a right to arm ourselves and organize black self-defense groups to protect ourselves against racist police and our community who brutalizes, etc. That's one point of our program. Full employment for our people, number two. Decent housing fits for shelter human beings. Decent education for black people. Now give me an example. Let's get an example on the educational thing. In relation to the police department, show you how these things cross up. A black man that comes out of a high school is not taught one iota about law by the time he got out of high school. And at the same time, many uh, white kids are in white school, but we're concerned with the black community. We have four major high schools that have a large population of black people there. And this young black man comes out, half of them, we're talking about decent education, now come out semi-illiterate. Now... Besides not being taught in law, he's coming out city semi-illiterate, he's getting bad education, he's on the streets, and even before he come out of high school, he's uh, intimidated by the cops. The cops walk up to him and say, boy, where you going? What you calling me boy for? You know, something like this here. There's an argument. The young fellow doesn't know anything about his basic constitutional rights. 
We took these black brothers off the block. We sit them down. We sit them in our office, and we start explaining little basic points of law about to them. You know, and Huey had a way of being able to break it down so they could understand what kind of rights they had. And uh, we made little outlines. Those who can't read, we'd go over it with them, they'd read it. But they were very, very interested because they looked at knowing something about the law as a means by which they could possibly protect themselves. This we saw as constructive. This we saw as constructive and also educating them. At the same time, we trained them young fellows, the safety of weapons. We trained those young fellows, all these brothers, well, let's say young fellows, some they range from anywhere from 16 to um, 30. It's the predominantly youth group, youth of youthful, youthful people. The safety of guns, it's the fact that the gun's not dangerous, it's the person who's behind it that's dangerous. This is what's happening. Nobody in our organization has ever shot each other. These fellows never point a gun at a person. They're trained. We train them well how to tell those guns and to use it in a fashion that's breaking the law by brutalizing and murdering some black person in the community unjustly when he's got down wrong. And it's time for us to come forward and defend ourselves. It's the basic principle. Regardless of all the laws that are written, the right to survival against injustice, etc., is first. So here, <clears throat> you can see a broad thing in our program here. Also, again, black people in the black community, the concern the courts. The courts, the police department, the administrative department, the legislature who make the laws, these three major areas of the government, are not serving the black people, are not serving the black people at all. We can see what the courts are doing. We go to, go to the courtrooms in the morning, 90% black people are in those municipal courts in the city of Oakland. I don't know what's in Berkeley. But I know where this large population of black people is in Oakland. It's a big percentage in Berkeley. Uh, well, I would say about half. I would say it was a large percentage of black people arrested. But 90% of them are black people who are railroaded through the courts, all the way from a traffic ticket to a, or a murder charge. Uh, this has got to stop. Just go to the jails. The highest budget in the state of California is not the Board of Education and Welfare. It's penal institutions. People don't realize really what's happening here. Governor Reagan will try to cut back on welfare and all these other things. Of course, that's even not enough to really serve the people. At the same time, what did he do? He increased his highway patrol by 1,500. This is building a police state. What's, where, is the, where are the people being served? Why pay a cop, a man to be a cop, 500? Uh, why increase 1,500 cops who's going to get anywhere from, well, probably six to 600 to $800 a month? And you start talking about $800 a month, and you add this up in terms of a year, and you add this up in terms of 1,500 policemen, and you're talking about the extra technical equipment and all this stuff being put into more. And it should be going to where? It should be going really to the people that serve the people, having some kind of constructive programs. But no, they give a little chicken fee or uh, poverty program monies and things like this here. And a few black, many black people are uneducated politically, don't understand what politics is and don't realize that in dealing with politics, they have to realize that politics starts from a hungry stomach. This is where we start with the idea of what politics is. Politics starts with a billy club crushing you across your skull. Politics start with the way you're railroaded through a court where you don't have proper defense. Can you imagine this? Not imagine it. Check this back out. They have many, many public defenders down there in the courts. A young man comes in, he doesn't have any money. His mother's poor, she doesn't have any money, or what have you. And the DA, to follow, the judge, to follow the law that the man has a right to counsel, appoints what he calls a public defender. And when he appoints as a public defender, we find out what? That the public defender's assistant, DA. And the DA is prosecuting the uh, young man. I've seen so many situations where young black men, just in this recent, thing, recent confinement here at, El at the Alameda County Jail in Santa Rita, where young men were just caught in a corner. And many of them would really not be guilty from the stories I heard. They would feel they weren't guilty, but the thing is, man, I gotta get this over. I'm gonna cop out to this misdemeanor, man. Go and do this six months or this nine months, or go and go to the joint, man. I'll get out in 18 months, man, and come on, hit the block. He decides to do this here out of uh, this public defender. They're railroading him out there. It's it's it's, it's just it's pathetic. 75% of the black men out there in Santa Rita prison farm, where over 1,200 people are black people, whereas four or five. Well, six years ago, 
the statistics that I get, they're about 21% black. This increase of the penal institutions, the money in the penal institution, the police state, all this here. Well, how deeply now do you feel uh, the new political uh, ideas, uh, the uh, political action, and, as, as you have represented it, how deeply is it penetrating into, into the ghetto now? I mean, uh, presumably there were uh, people in the ghetto who signed the, uh, to put the Peace and Freedom Party on the ballot. And presumably, uh, as the thing grows, uh, if candidates are put on the ballot... Uh, from the Peace and Freedom Party, uh, do you feel that that the education, the rousing of the ghetto from a political standpoint is fairly well advanced, or is there a long way to go yet? Because I believe the percentage of people in the ghettos who, uh, who, who vote in any way, shape, or form, for or against, has been uh, very low. Now, I'd like all three of you, uh, if you would, to comment on, uh, on that. Uh, perhaps... Uh, I think all it boils down to me and my point, I'll make mine short. Uh, black people suffer. They have oppressive conditions that exist. There are certain things. And I outline our program, they're generally outlined basically. Black people know what they are. All they have to do is be shown and educated to sh- let them see that these little things that you think about, employment, all these things, these are political desires and needs. When a government says, for the people, of the people, and by the people, administration goes up and professes to serve the people, and when it doesn't, this is where black people start off from a basic thing. All this electoral stuff and all this stuff. Black people are in a state now through all the, I'll say, bull crap that's went down for all these hundreds of years. You see those black rebellions going on in the black community? Those are black rebellions out of frustration. Black people know that they're in a situation that they feel has got to be changed. They just bust out. You know what I mean? This violence, this violence is a form of force, it's destructive, it's a consequence. You have to go home and you have to look at TV and see what kind of damage, as they put it, we did to the man. Well, are the political ideas and the political... uh, In in other words, uh, out of this kind of frustration, out of this sort of attitude, which you have been describing so well, do you think the shift is coming into uh, a political act as such? such as being willing to believe that there's some purpose in going to the polls and casting a vote. When you, right, I'm saying when you go down to the streets where black people can look around and see hundreds and hundreds of cops patrolling them and know that they will brutalize them, etc. And an organization goes down and says, we have guns, they are loaded, we have ammunition, we have a right to carry them, brothers, and we're going to defend ourselves against those racist cops who attack us. And then all of a sudden, only thing we can get, the whole pulse beat that we get out of the black community, the brother's saying, man, I can dig it. This is where it's at. Now, I define this as black people seeing and relating to this kind of political action on the nitty-gritty scene. Not just somebody get up there talking in the assembly about this should be in. Yes, I understand that, Bobby. I'm Uh, saying this education of black people. I'm saying that uh, you will find many of our political gestures is and the hit the press are highly related to focusing upon what we're talking about so that black people can get a chance to check it out and they'll see what we're talking about. We're talking about their conditions and it's time for us to get together and solve them, organize them. Uh, if you're speaking of um, how I educate them... No, I'm you? not. I'm, I'm, uh, I wonder if we could... Uh, uh, yes, yeah, Bob, you were again. See, I think what you're raising, Elsie, is that what you're... Saying you wonder that now that people's consciousness has been raised by the rebellions and by the activities of groups like the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, if they, if black people will now begin to believe again in the electoral process, well, even the electoral process, when, for example, uh, one congressman that they could point to with some degree of pride, for example, Adam Clayton Powell, is just simply emasculated, and he was, you know, minimally opposed to what was going on uh, in the country, minimally opposed, at least publicly, to the way the power structure was dealing with black people and other people. And, e- and even from that position, he was too dangerous at this point for the um, Congress and the, the forces that represent to tolerate any longer. And I think that uh, we have to recognize that even if black people could get together and, and begin electing in, in largely black areas representatives, that if those representatives started to move into... Uh, you know, real action that dealt with the real problems of black people, that they would simply be emasculated, isolated, and, and rendered Im- impotent unless the community itself 
was organized on a you know, block-to-block basis, and it was ready to inflict, you know, what Barbers continually referred to as a political consequence if their desires and needs were not met. In other words, you see, for white people, majority of white people, particularly, let's say, KPFA listeners, you know, that politics means going to the polls, maybe perhaps going to a demonstration, but it means that you there's some things that you would like to see happen, and you try to affect the political arena in such a way that those things might happen. But if they don't happen, your very survival is not at stake. The survival of the Vietnamese may be at stake, but your survival is not at stake. For black people, if their political desires and needs are not met, their very survival is at stake. And therefore, different forms than just simply electoral politics, which if you lose, presumably you just sit by and say, well, wait till next time. Different forms are dictated by the position that they find themselves in. And they. And this is why you hear the popularization of Malcolm X's slogan, freedom by any means necessary. In other words, black people are in a position where they have to use every tool that they can to try to achieve freedom. And this is what I think... Yes, but at the moment where you are attempting to use uh, a political tool, and I still haven't had... Well, and I, I well, think I understand, and it's been said several times, uh, what the points that, that, that you're making, and making very well, but uh, you still are making an attempt, as I understand it, uh, to utilize this education and this frustration toward a political end. Mike, would you like right. to... I mean, it seems, uh, <coughs> it seems to me the problem with this discussion is that <coughs> there are a number of different groups and attitudes inside the black community and that attitudes change very rapidly. Take Cleveland, for example, that when Carl Stokes ran as an independent for mayor in Cleveland two years ago, he practically every black person in the city left the Democratic Party to vote for him and he practically won, came within a couple of percentage votes. Of winning, the only reason he didn't win was because no whites were willing to vote for him. No whites to speak of. Now, <clears throat> Carl Stokes had ran, and you know a lot of uh, most black people supported him then too. The problem was that from my friends in Cleveland, I understand now that they're getting very dissatisfied with him, precisely because Stokes did decide to go back in and utilize the power structure, and it turned out the power structure was utilizing him. And as a result, after he became mayor, he made a number, and while he was running, as a matter of fact, he began making statements about how he would have called out the National Guard earlier than his white predecessor, how he was going to strengthen the police chief. No, it never would have occurred to him to select a black person to be chief of police, you know, because the white community would be very upset, he believed it was a white person, etc. And I think that that's just going to read, that kind of electoral campaign just reinforces the attitude among uh, black people that, you know, you really don't yes, have... But presumably you're not planning on running that kind of an electoral right, but that's campaign. Why I wanted, Did I, I say this? I want to draw the comparison. Yeah, but can I, can I put, place the question in another way? Right. Supposing you put Huey Newton on the ballot, how deeply have your ideas penetrated the ghetto? How many people in the ghetto are going to come out and vote for Huey Newton? Well, this is this is really the that essence re- of that my remains question. To be, that remains to be seen, and it also depends on the kind of campaign we wage. I suspect that he will get very, very popular. So it's, I've just been amazed at the amount, the widespread support that uh, Huey Newton has in the ghetto now. I mean, most whites barely know about the case, so what they know about it is uh, very little. But in the ghetto, uh, Huey Newton takes on a sort of Malcolm X kind of image or posture, and that's the kind of respect that he has, precisely because he did lay his life on the line. He's a guy that, you know, wasn't out for personal ambition and glory, but was, you know, trying to do what he could do to uh, organize uh, the black community and to end uh, racism uh, and the racist uh, police brutality. Now, it seems to me that that kind of campaign would be different from the one that I was talking about and why I think it would attract support and keep it because what you're you're not trying to spread any illusions about, you know, the the question is just, you know, well, we'll get a black man in. What we're saying now is here for the first time is somebody represents you, is involved in the street life of your community, knows what the problems are in your community. It's quite clear he's not going to be able to use the power structure, and the power structure is not going to be able to use him because, after all, they want to drop a pill on him. They don't want to, you know, use him anymore. Uh, and that he is going to be able to represent you, and he's going to speak for you, and he's going to speak your language. And I think that that kind of campaign will get uh, tremendous support. Our major problem in getting that support will be the problem of, you know, press blackout, etc. And and here in the black community, we'll have to rely on, uh, you know, the kinds of uh, Normal ways of information spread from block to block, from street to street, etc. And you uh, feel, I, go ahead, Mark. I just wanted to. I want to say that I feel that this is an important question. It's important to understand the way in which I, I believe. Maybe Bobby can correct me. Black people will approach Huey Newton's candidacy. It seems to me that black people will view Huey Newton's candidacy as a tactical thing for saving, for helping to save his life. That is, I think that they will be able to understand that having him be a candidate, having him projected, you know, in this kind of a position, will make it more difficult 
for the power structure to railroad him off to the gas chamber. And I think that black people uh, approach not only this candidacy, but all electoral candidacies tactically. That is, that they can be and are being educated to understand, for example, with the Peace and Freedom Party, that it's sometimes to their advantage to have, within the white community particularly, a an organization that is on the ballot which has, you know, that arena to work in and can have that kind of a platform to speak from, which talks about, you know, Huey Newton and the real root issues that are involved in the black community. And I think this is the way, with, you know, and again, Bob, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that the, that the Panthers have approached the um, Peace and Freedom Party, that it's valuable to them to have this organization existing and thriving, particularly in the white community, and projecting that kind of a program, so long as it continues to deal in, a, in, in an anti-racist way with the problems of the black community. And the, 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 as Bobby's fond of saying, that the Panthers are, in fact, made up for the kind of people that you'll find, the average person on the block in the black community, and the average person, and I think that what what you're going to find is that black people will say, yeah, I can I can dig having Huey be a candidate because it'll help to save him, but that's not enough. We have to organize ourselves behind him and behind the kind of programs he was projecting, and I can dig having you know these these white uh, people up there running uh, their candidacies on a basis of save Huey and and, and and attacking our problems from position of being opposed to the kind of oppression we're under, and that tactically they can support that but at the same time they're going to continue to relate primarily to organizations like the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense they're going to make that their political arena and through that organization they will tactically when it's to their advantage support the efforts of the Peace and Freedom Party and I think that from the other side from the Peace and Freedom Party side as Mike Parker suggested we know that this power structure that's set up over all of us is so powerful and it's so far-reaching. It reaches all around the world and it's so deeply rooted and entrenched and has so, mu- you know, so many forces to, to marshal in, in protecting its interests that we have to have, you know, as long as it's done on a principal basis and we feel it is being done that way, we have to have all, you know, the, the strength that we can gather by coalition and by other means to, to bring to bear against that power structure, to inflict consequences against it and that, you know, it's been very helpful to us. To, to be able to work in coalition with the Panthers in attempting to get some kind of leverage against the power structure. And the same goes uh, for the Peace and Freedom Party and uh, dealing with the black Panthers, dealing with the white community. Uh, we feel this has been very, very helpful to us, especially concerning our brother Huey P. Newton. Well, you see, uh, what I suppose in another way I've been uh, trying to get out for discussion is that your true radical is a distinct minority uh, in the white community. Uh, and tends to uh, talk to his, you know talk around in a circle to himself. Uh, now I believe the, the situation is widening out, and more and uh, wider and wider areas of people are uh, recognizing the fact. Point in American history is you know is, is here and, and is in the process of happening. And what I was uh, attempting to uh, to get an expression on was. Uh, how rapidly the kind of ideas that you uh, understand so well are spreading in the ghetto. We know the potential is there. In other words, we know the frustration is there. We know the unemployment is there. Uh, we know the brutality is there. Uh, but how rapidly, in your view, is this penetrating what you're trying to do is, is it penetrating uh, the, the mass of the people who have to live under these circumstances in your community? I think, I think, I think it's, uh, uh, basically, it's penetrated quite well. I mean, the depth in it, I mean, uh, we don't take a poll if you need some measuring stick here. In, in, in no, I'm just after your opinion. I'm not asking. But, uh, I'm not expecting uh, you from to from take every, a poll. From everything I can get, you know, uh, any young, we have a number of, Numbers of black brothers who are black panthers who can walk up on a corner and say, "Yeah, man, I'm in a panther party." And next thing you know, you got this guy's got 20 guys who've been drinking wine, ain't been doing nothing, maybe, or just going up, sitting around, listening to him asking questions, just because of the interest. Black panther party. This is supposed to be for me. I mean, Old mothers, you know, uh, they ask this question when they get a chance. Churches have invited us. Women's organizations have invited us everywhere. And what we're getting is we're getting a response <coughs> of. Uh, we're glad to hear it from you instead of hearing it from the papers the way they've been putting it down because we really didn't know. And our response, all the response we've been getting from the people has is, is been uh, good. Yeah. And, and organizations you just mentioned, the churches and, and uh, we are, uh, uh, other organizations within the ghetto community are asking you to come and explain oh, yes, what you feel. We've been to a number of churches. We've been to... We've been to uh, Numbers of places. Mostly, it's, 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 it's the block, though. I, I like to refer to the block. 
uh, this young fella, this ex-felons, one who's going to be a felon, this youth, this student, uh, the older people are saying, yeah, that's what we needed a long time ago. They'll say this, you know. But uh, many of the older people aren't, aren't going to come out. But And we do have some older people in the organization with their guns in their home and saying, you young fellas is right. I wish that I could have got something like together like this when I was uh, younger. Then there's always some fellow who's going to spout the old terms until he get a chance to really understand the party. But uh, from what we get, the pulse beat we get from the black community is, is very receptive. And uh, if it wasn't, we'd have to change. Because <laughs> this is where it's going. Mike? Yeah, uh, it seems to me that uh, what you raised before about the nature of this candidacy has another importance besides just its uh, appeal inside the black community. And that is that over the past few years, there's been an increasing separation or division of the movements for social change in this society. Uh, an increasing barrier wall has been set up between whites and blacks, largely as a result of uh, kind of uh, white racism as exhibited in Proposition 14, the fact that liberal, liberal uh, whites have been willing to sell out the black struggle and for their own interests, etc. And that what a kind of campaign like this means is the possibility for the first time in uh, in a long time, if ever, of a genuine coalition on the basis of genuine equality uh, between a black organization and a white organization. Now, there's a lot of there are problems with that on both uh, scores. I know that the uh, Black Panther Party for Self-Defense has to gets a lot of slow, uh, you know, are very distrustful of any kind of relationship with whites. And I'm sure Bobby could speak on that. And they've been trying to explain the political relationship in their community. And for our part, of course, there are a lot of people who are very, very unhappy about our relationship uh, with the Panthers, and especially about the asp the identification of the Panthers with guns. And one of the things, our jobs, it seems to me, is to begin to talk to whites to try to explain to them, first of all, what's going on in the ghetto and the nature of the Black Panther Party, etc. For instance, uh, I think that it has to be explained, first of all, as we said before, that the Panthers... Uh, you know, see weapons as a means of defense so that they can organize for these programs that Bobby has been talking about. And secondly, I think that those whites that say that uh, black people, you know, should not bear guns or should put down their guns, you know, that it's not peaceful, you know, that's violence, etc., have to face up to a fact about this society, namely that black people are oppressed and that every attempt that's ever been made to control, say, the police force, for instance, is doomed to failure. Uh, look at all these attempts to get just these very wishy-washy civilian review boards set up, not even community-controlled police forces, but just general civilian review boards where you can bring complaints, which include also a number of police officers on those boards. And even those go down to failure. That is, for some reason or another, it seems impossible for even whites to control the, their police. Uh, and it seems to me that, uh, you know, a lot of the whites in white radicals and white liberals, if they're serious about change in the society, are going to have to face the fact that they have no right to ask oppressed people to be the ones to put down their guns when they can't even control their own police forces. And when we can get the police and other groups uh, like that to put down their guns and to end the brutality and brutalizing of the black community, then it seems to me it's time to raise the question of, uh, well, what about the uh, guns in the black community? But until then, it seems to me we should stand for the right of self-defense, the same right that everybody takes for granted for everybody else in the society except black people. And suddenly when black people say, well, we want the right of self-defense too, we can't start talking about non-violence. Uh, I'd like to. Uh, okay, Bob, and then we're going to have to close, otherwise we... Okay, I, I just want to make this point that, that uh, just as, you know, we're seeing the, the, the development in the black community where you have SNCC breaking away from the old civil rights arena where you were dealing with middle-class issues and had a middle-class base and moving toward, you know, the really oppressed sector, the mass of people in the black community, and you see the Panthers orienting toward, you know, the, the man in the block, as Bobby likes to say, and, and correctly so, I think that the... The white movement, as it's beginning to get more radical, is going to also have to extend its base to those same kinds of people in the white community, people who have so far been ignored by the, the white anti-war movement, the, the free speech movement, the campus movement, those people who are also suffering from bad housing, bad education, from perhaps uh, police brutality, not on the same level as the black community because it's not as white communities are not as... Uh, occupied and controlled as tightly, but still it's there, the lack of uh, good education, the railroading through the courts, the being subject to the draft. All, and I think that it's very important that the white movement, in addition to having things like the Peace and Freedom Party, must begin to branch out and reach those people. And I think that there is a great potential there, and that if this is not done, that we're, we're going to end up 
um, running into a dead end and that it's very important that we build this kind of base which can also begin to coalesce with organizations like the Panthers around specific common interests. Did you have anything else you wanted to say, Bobby? Because we, we must close if we're uh, going to get okay. it on the air. Uh, well, all I wanted to say was that uh, I think that the, for the whites, from my point of view, I think that if uh, they can march 65,000 against the war in Vietnam, why can't they march 65,000 against uh, the uh, racist police suppression, which is we consider war? And well, maybe the time will come when they will, and I'm sure that the audience knows a great deal more at the end of this hour about what the Black Panther really represents and uh, what the, than they knew before. And I want to thank uh, Bob Avakian uh, and Mike Parker of the Peace and Freedom Party and uh, Bobby Seale, chairman of the Black Panthers, for coming in.